Let's turn then back to our passage here. We started this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And it's, it's such an important text here, but a beautiful text as Paul describes um, the cosmic sovereignty uh, of the Creator, Jesus Christ. And this beautiful picture of all that he is. And then he's going to make it very applicable to our situation in the second part of this. Yeah, interesting, as we continue to work through this, there's going to be a lot of scriptures, other scriptures that I'll tie in. And I really do think, like I said earlier, that Paul um, took, the Holy Spirit used Paul's knowledge of scripture. We are talking about Dury's knowledge of scripture earlier. And used it to tie so many of, of these themes together. And it's a reminder to me, again, we, we need to know the full counsel of God's word. We need to know it well. We need to be studying it. Um, it's my goal to present to you as much as possible the whole counsel. And, you know, sometimes that takes some time, right? It, it can't just be... Um, fit into 15-minute sound bites, 10-minute sound bites, or whatever, but to study these, these passages and see the whole complete picture of, of Scripture and what it has to say about Christ takes time to do that. And um, I know that you're very patient uh, with me as I'm up here, but you be taking the time as well. Uh, don't be satisfied, in other words, with just a quick cursory reading of God's Word. Now, sometimes I know in the busyness of our weeks, there are some days where you only have a little bit of time, and reading even a little bit of God's Word is better than none at all. But as we're growing, let's not be satisfied with nothing wrong, particular with the daily bread, but you know that's supposed to be supplemental, right? That's not supposed to be our main food. And you take five minutes to read your daily bread, or maybe you've got a bigger book that has um, a couple more paragraphs every day or whatever. Don't be satisfied with just a little bit of understanding, but really dig. Know God's word well, like Paul did. So you can explain, as Rana said, who he is to others. And so we've seen this. The, the preeminence of the Son is um, forefront here in Paul's description. And the Son is the preeminent creator, the all-surpassing greatness, the superiority of the beloved Son of Jesus Christ. And and he was the creator. He's superior to all creation. We saw that. But he also holds together all creation. He keeps it together um, by the force of his word. And now we're going to see tonight the son also has superior, the great, surpassing great authority over believers and over the world. So let's read the whole passage together. We'll have a word of prayer and dig into verses 18 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Father, as we continue to look at this passage tonight, let us continue to marvel and rejoice in the fact that Jesus, the, the God of the universe, came and shed his own blood, gave of himself so that we could be reconciled to you. And marvel at the fact that that pleased you to do that, Lord. Well, that's hard for us to understand. And yet all of this was a part of your sovereign plan. And Lord, let us respond then to that understanding with a desire to please you with our lives. To remember that we're not the writers of the play, but we're the actors. And we follow the grand director in his plan for the universe. Help us to desire that, to be content with being a player in your drama that pleases you. And we want to do that, Lord. So help us to continue to marvel at all that Jesus has done for us and serve you more effectively as we've sung. To whom much has been given, much more shall be required. Let us feel the weight of that. And at the same time, See the power of Christ and who he is that can enable us to be committedly faithful to him and be encouraged in that. So, Lord, give us much understanding. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, the preeminence of the Son, the all-surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ continues as Paul starts in verse, continues in verse 18. And the Son has the preeminent authority. He has all authority over creation. And over certainly all believers, the church in particular. Um, I mentioned this morning in kind of a transition that the sun in the beginning, the sun created everything as well. And it was good. Remember what happened to that creation though? Well, it was corrupted by our sin. And our relationship was broken, was severed with God. And we're going to see in the second part that God had the plan for the Son and his preeminence and his superior greatness to also reconcile all of creation back to God. So God didn't have to react after the fact. He's not up there still wondering what he's going to do. Well, he has a plan. He's going to bring all this together. Um, I know one of the things that brings great <coughs> satisfaction to my wife is a clean house, an organized house. Now, with four boys in the large home that we live in and homeschooling and all of that, it is a challenge at times. And we have a special room that sometimes a lot of things go when guests come. I'll admit that to you. I'm sure you do, too. And we just kind of not really in an organized way, but everything ends up in that room so the rest of the house can look nice. Because one of her concerns and the thing that gives her satisfaction, and, and myself as well, but more even my wife, is that when we have guests, is that we we have shown them that we're responsible to clean our home and to make it look nice for them. And you can all understand that. That's a basic thing. Um, even with my mom coming up this weekend, we wanted things to look nice for her. And she always says, oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. No, we want, we want things to look nice. Well, what do you do when all of creation has become a mess? <laughs> 
and mankind trashed creation. Really, that's what all this beautiful creation that we found that Jesus has um, has created. He's the grand architect, engineer. Well, folks, don't be worried. He will clean house, and he will restore everything to make it even better and renewed. And that's what this is all about, that Jesus will restore and bring reconciliation to the whole world. And we'll see more about what he means about that. But first of all, um, Paul wants to point out that Jesus has authority over us. I don't think that's a surprise to any of you, the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body. Well, what is that body? Well, it's the church. And Paul has written about the body of Christ before this letter. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, I'll just read to you very quickly from uh, chapter 12. Paul gives, this is a well-known passage about the body. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, there's the unity. We're going to be seeing in the last verse here that Jesus brought peace. Well, he brought peace between Jew and Gentile, um, slaves and free men, and brought them together to be a part of the oneness of spirit. We were all made to drink of one spirit in the church. Paul has talked about the body of Christ before in his former writings, but only in Ephesians and Colossians does he actually go further and give the understanding that Jesus is the head and uses that word for Jesus as the authority. And here in Ephesians, understanding Jesus is the head of the church. What is he emphasizing here? Well, as we continue on, we'll see that in that picture as the head, Paul is saying that Jesus has all authority and power to tell the church what he wants the church to do. And it says, continuing on here, as we continue that thought, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That beloved son who was the firstborn um, over the church as well. He also, there's, there's, there's a sense here as well, that even though he's emphasizing authority and power, that dependence on Christ is also implied in this. So Jesus is our head. As the church, we submit ourselves to his authority. He has all authority over creation. He has all authority over the church. But in this picture as well is the point that the church is one of the peaks, maybe the apex of Jesus' creativity, and is the means for how the message of God's reconciliation plan goes forth. Jesus, as the creator and head over the church, let's not ever minimize, folks, the study and the doctrine of the church. Jesus gave his life for it. Jesus created the church with a specific plan to let the world know that this world isn't always going to be broken. It's not always going to be marred. We, as the church, have the glorious privilege and responsibility to lead people, to direct people to Christ, the one, the author of newness of life, who will, who through his death on the cross, as we're going to see here, will bring in, usher in the new creation. And everything, we can be transformed spiritually now. One day, everything's going to be transformed. 
and it's through the agency of the church that we um, are able to proclaim the gospel and give the message of salvation. But we also have to rely on him too. If he's our head, folks, we're dependent on him. And we need him because remember how Paul has described that he has all power over all those thrones and dominions and, and powers, all of those uh, supernatural beings. And uh, the good ones we don't have to worry about, the evil ones that are a part of, of Satan's um, regime, so to speak. They can be that can be intimidating to think of Satan as a roaring lion who's after us and who is uh, wants to do us harm. And yet uh, we're reminded here that we are dependent upon Jesus and he has authority over all of those supernatural beings and he'll take care of us when we depend on him. We can't do it alone. We can't do the ministry of the church alone. We have to be dependent upon our head, upon Jesus Christ. We can rely on him for victory over our foes. We will have total victory one day. So important here, Jesus has the authority for all of us to tell us what to do. In the end, it's not the pastor that has the final authority, and I'm thankful for that. But it's Jesus we serve. This is Jesus' church. It's not my church. He is our head. Do you submit gladly to that authority? Or do you struggle with that sometimes? Well, I think sooner or later we all tend to struggle with it. But we shouldn't. We need to submit to it and depend upon him for the work that he wants to do through the church. Well, continue on. He is the beginning. And let's just stop there and let's make clear that Jesus, that Paul is not saying that Jesus had a beginning. Uh, maybe he never, he's eternal, but at some point he had a beginning point. That's not Paul's point here. And in the Greek, this actually is a well-known word that's used for ruler. And he's using it here as a title for Jesus Christ. And he's um, focused and he's referring to Jesus' primacy of rulership. The one who is before, the beginning, uh, the word is arche. And he is the one that is before all else, right? He is the primary ruler above all other ruler. That's what it means when it says he is the beginning. So again, understanding, don't take one phrase or one verse out of context, but uh, delve into it and try to and, uh, look up these words and, and read the context. Jesus never had a beginning. That's not his point. But he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, right? The Bible is clear about that. That means that he has superiority of rulership above all else. And that also implies, again, he has the authority to tell all of us what to do beyond the church. And in God's sovereign plan, there are many leaders today who think that um, they are following their own agenda and that they're so wise and smart and they think that they're bringing their evil plans um, to fruition without any concern for God at all. But remember, folks, those leaders, all the leaders throughout time, they're all under the sovereignty, sovereign control of God. So even if, as we saw this morning, if Satan and his minions have to go before God, everybody else has to as well. So don't, we can, we can get concerned about the direction of leadership in our country, leadership in other nations, but don't be anxious and fretful, folks, because Jesus is the beginning. 
He's the ultimate ruler. He's the archaic. And beyond that, then, here's that word again, for the firstborn. This Greek word is protokos. Oh, actually, protokos. It's hard to say it in one, in one complete one there. Uh, it's the same word for firstborn, but again, it's not meaning that Jesus had a beginning, that he was born at some point, but it refers to his reign. His deserving of privileges, his deserving of worship as the firstborn in this um, society had um, access to most of the privileges. Uh, Paul's pointing out that Jesus has uh, deserves all of the privileges of God's son. And he outranks, as you could say it that way, Jesus outranks everybody. Well, how can that be? How is that fair? Well, Paul describes it further here. It's certainly fair because he won that right, if you can put it that way. The firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the first, the initiator, really, of his own victorious resurrection. And as creator, right? It talked about this this morning. He is the one, um, as he was involved in the original creation, through his resurrection, he's also the one that will bring about the new creation of spiritual life through his resurrection from the dead. Jesus is able to offer new spiritual life because he conquered sin, death, and hell, Satan himself, in that resurrection. And he's able to then bring us, offer us spiritual life. He was the first one, in other words, as the firstborn from the dead, to rise from the dead as victorious conqueror over sin and the grave. And that means he can allow us, folks, to have resurrection as well. We are promised that we'll have a new body one day, that we will experience resurrection, whatever pains, whatever difficulties, whatever illness you're going through right now. The fact that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, if you are trusting in him, you can be confident then that you will have that same resurrected body one day. What a blessing that is. And Jesus, because of this, because he was willing to do this, and we'll see how further on, um, he is, he has the authority then to, for the whole world and to tell us what to do as well. So let's continue on here. The firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. <clears throat> that word preeminent has the idea of being superior, supreme, supreme over all creation. And it says in here, everything, that means all things. It doesn't matter what you think of, what you see in this creation or in the spiritual realm or whatever. Jesus is superior, again, to all of that. And Paul is making that clear here. So, again, let's think back through this. He is the beginning. He's a superior ruler overall. He is the firstborn from the dead. He's able to offer us new life because he, in that um, unique resurrection, he conquered death, sin, and hell. There were people that had been resurrected before that, right? Lazarus, even the Old Testament, Elijah and the widow's son. But folks, nobody had ever been raised from the dead of their own strength. 
and we're able to conquer sin and death. That's unique. And when Jesus was able to do that, he then, in a unique sense, were able to follow him through that and look forward to new life one day. I think we understand what all that means. And because he was able to do that, that means that he is superior to all things, to all of us, to all of creation. He deserves that title. Um, the, the final thing is he has authority over all believers, but he also has authority over all things in general. I've stated that already, but Paul wants to make it clear here in these last two verses that that is the case. And we might ask at this point in Paul's writing, well, if Jesus is superior to it all and he is bringing about the new creation, then why does this world look so broken still? Why is there so much sin and sadness and evil? There's got to be a better thing coming or a better situation coming than what we're experiencing now. If Jesus is superior, he's the authority over all this. Does it get any better, Pastor Brock? And that's really what Paul's answering here. Yes, because Jesus is a superior creator. By his death and resurrection, he was able to bring the new creation into existence, new life. That he will make all things new and reconcile all things to himself. There was a, a house down the road, actually in our neighborhood, just down the street from us, that I was fascinated by for a long time as we first moved into Hopkinton. And I, we kind of joked around that we had our own haunted house in our neighborhood. But really, as you walked by it, it did look really creepy. <laughs> and it was a good-sized home. Uh, it had a connected extension between the house then and this large barn and then this other barn attached to it. And it was obviously falling apart. And as we walked by this home, we kept wondering, why doesn't anybody fix this up? I mean, this is a decent-sized piece of property. It seems like a good amount of land. And this house is huge. It's obviously been there a while. I wonder what the story is. Well, we have one friend of ours, again, lives on our property, Lee, who is a wealth of information about our community, and we asked him about that, and he didn't know a lot, but he did hear that the legend goes that there were two people, sadly, at different times that lived in the home that committed suicide, and that made the house even seem creepier. But just the realization of um, the despair and brokenness that had taken place in that house and the thing was crumbling. Just as you're walking, I don't know why it fascinated me so much, but it obviously been there for a long time. Um, eventually, as we were thinking, is, is anybody ever going to renew this piece of property? A friend of Lee's did buy it, and he has been renovating it. In fact, he let Lee uh, walk in. I wish I was like, man, Lee, if you could give me opportunity to walk in with you, I want to see the place. But he walked in the back barn, and he actually discovered an old horse-drawn carriage, is my understanding, that had been back there for a long time. This is obviously an old house. And then I really wanted to see it, you know, but I didn't have permission. Um, and as we continued to go by, um, they have torn part of the, um, the foundation that was faulty away. The house is now renewed and looking very nice. They're working on the barn, and they're working on the property. They're not done with it yet, folks. But as you see the renewal in progress, you know 
that this is going to happen. There is no doubt that eventually this guy, it, it seems like it's taking quite a while, but he's put this much money into it. You know it's going to be totally renewed and able to be inhabitable again probably pretty soon. Well, folks, in the same way as we look at the world around us and as we see what God is doing in our lives, we can be even more confident than a guy who's renovating a house. That as God has renovated us and made us new, he's going to do that for all creation. It's going to happen. But what Paul is saying, it's going to happen in the future. In verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this really, if you think about it, is the language of the Old Testament tabernacle that was filled with the glory of God. And here Paul says that Jesus is filled with the full glory, the fullness, the full deity of God. And God was pleased by that. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the tabernacle picture and God filling that place with his glory, his person is the fullness of deity. In other words, I think you get the point here. He is God. He has all the attributes. He has all the fullness of God. And that pleases God that that is so. This also is the language of authority as well. That God has given Jesus full authority to require of us what pleases our Heavenly Father. Jesus pleases fully as Heavenly Father. God has given him the authority then to work that in us so that we can please. Because remember, we're not our own. We're here for him. We're here for Jesus. We're here for the pleasure. That word pleasing can mean pleasure. We're here for the pleasure of God. You've heard that old term with uh, servants of another age, I guess, that we're here at the pleasure of such and such to serve them. That may not sound, that may not be very um, exciting in a modern sense, but folks, for us, that's the case. We're here at the pleasure of God. We serve him at his pleasure to please him. And um, that, that should not be a problem for us. So, again, another direct picture here of Jesus, description of Jesus as God. Folks, if you ever run into someone who's doubting the deity of Christ, just go to this passage over and over again. We have the language that makes it clear. He's the creator. He's the firstborn. He's the very representation of God. He is the fullness of God. Um, you can't argue what Paul is saying here, that Jesus is fully God in every aspect. And yet, he was fully God, but look what he was willing to do. Through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Um, this word for reconciliation is the Greek word was used in the political realm of diplomatic relationships, where a representative from one nation would work through issues with an offended party, another nation that was offended. And then we have that today. We have diplomats that go and are very effective and they work and they know how to say just the right things to kind of um, assuage the anger of another country. And people are very skilled at that. And that's the language that's used here. But folks, God turns that concept entirely upside down. 
from that aspect. And this is what's remarkable, that God was the offending part, offended party. And yet he was willing to make reconciliation possible with those who had offended him. That's unheard of. That's amazing. And he did that through the death, the shed blood of his own son. Folks, we were broken. The original creation was broken. Our relationship with God was broken, and it was our fault. And yet God was pleased to send his son to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. It's really the greatest offense to reject that, isn't it? To reject the authority that God has given Jesus to offer us reconciliation. That word there, there's a lot. Paul has talked about forgiveness of sins that God gives. Um, but this is focused on the fact that we have a reconciled, reestablished relationship with God who was offended by our sin. And we can have that back and have that for eternity. Marvel at that, folks. And be willing to give him your all because of that. But do you notice something here? He doesn't just say us, but he says all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And again, some throughout church history have read this and said, oh, universal salvation. He's going to provide reconciliation for the whole world, for everybody. Again, don't take one verse out of context. Make sure that you know the whole context of Scripture. We know by what God has said about eternal punishment and only through Jesus Christ and that some will reject him. We know that that can't be what Paul is saying here, right? But he says at the end, making peace by the blood of his cross. What he's saying in this reconciliation is that there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to reconcile all of creation to himself. And those who have trusted in Christ will live with God forever. But God's going to make good on that promise. He's going to clean house. He's going to make things new. We're not going to live in this brokenness forever. And it's not just with us, but it's with all of creation. All things, folks, will be made anew. And will be reconciled. This probably also has the picture of those that rebel against him will be subjugated. You know what that means? That they will be made to humble themselves. And total justice will take place. And there will be peace. So many people rely on politicians. Or with a hope that somehow they'll bring peace. Or generals or kings or or whatever, all throughout world history, there has been this hope and desire that there'll be somebody that will just bring peace to our world. You hear about peace today, and people just wanting things, and the strife, and, and all the fighting, and the crime, and the killings, and all this, and people just want peace. Folks, one day, Jesus will return, and will fully restore that peace. How can he do that? Well, he did it. Because he, allowed, he um, was obedient to his father and went to the cross. And the fact that he was willing to shed his blood and provide forgiveness of sins, he can bring reconciliation and one day complete eternal peace 
to a world, to the world, in a way that no politician ever in all of history ever could. Jesus will do that. In fact, you could say it like this, paradise will be restored. And all creation will cease its groaning. Remember how Paul says in Romans that creation is groaning, folks? They're not, it's not going to groan forever. Even God's, even, even animals and plant life and all these things in a general sense groans because of the brokenness of sin. And Paul says it's not going to be that way forever. All of God's creation will rejoice and be reconciled. No environmentalism or new green deal needed. Jesus is superior to all the politicians' plans to try to limit us in that way. Jesus will bring environmental peace. He'll bring spiritual peace. Everything will be restored. Does he have the right? Does he have the authority, the ability to do that? Oh, he does. Because he was willing to sacrifice his body and shed his blood on a cross. You can be reconciled with God. Your neighbor can. I think all of us here, as I look around, have testimonies of a relationship with Christ. If we're not seeing, I'm confident that you do. But there's a world out there that needs to be reconciled with Christ. Better for them to trust Christ now than for one day for Jesus to return and then have to be forced, subjugated, worship him before they face eternal punishment because it will happen god will jesus will bring restoration and peace and all will bow before him you can count on that he will reconcile to himself all things and we want to be on his side when he does that in the future so this beautiful picture of jesus christ he's the creator he has superior, as creator, he is superior. He has superior authority in his sacrifice. He gives us reconciliation with God. And he has the authority to folks to tell us what to do and to rule over us. We are for him. He is the director in the drama. And we are, if I can say this, the actors. We're the characters. And we do what the director says. The actor argues with the director. The director has to win out in order for things to go, for it to be pleasing to the one who wrote the script. And that's us. We should just want to be pleasing to our director, to our creator, to our architect. That ought to be enough for us. Many times it's not. So let's ask God. Let's ask Jesus for the help to be reconciled to him on a daily basis. In our relationship with him to be strong and serve him faithfully until he returns. Father, beautiful passage here. These wonderful truths. Let us in our hearts tonight bow the knee before Jesus and recognize what's already true. We just need to um, submit to that. That is that he is the all, the preeminent, the great surpassing ruler, creator, savior of all, savior of all that call upon his name, and that one day he will return, and everything will be made right, and the brokenness of this world will be done away with, and everything will be made new, reconciled. We look forward to that day to help us to proclaim the message of Christ now, so that people, when Jesus returns, will have joy. 
and not fear. And not look on him as look on him as a loving savior, not an oppressor. And that we can look forward to worshiping him for all eternity. Help us to be faithful in that until he returns. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.